0: Well, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: I'm Nancy Goring, and I follow um, a topic that we're calling application infrastructure performance at 451 Research. So that means I follow follow all the APM vendors, the infrastructure monitoring folks, log management folks, related companies like the folks that do event correlation and alerting. Um, and I actually very recently took on the topic of NPM. So, um, mm. I'm, so yeah, so we we kind of we moved that over. It used to be um, with the network folks. And as the NPM vendors began talking more and more about the ways that they're trying to position their products um, for application monitoring, it seemed to make sense to move that over to me so I can sort of, you know, look at the intersection of those two topics. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: no, that's good. Back ba- back in my day as an yeah. analyst, uh, <laughs> I, I remember I would have to always pretend like I knew what networking was. But it, yeah. it, was, it was also sort of like this weird, it never made sense of like why it was so separate. Like I remember... There's two companies I talk with early on, and, and one of them was maybe like SolarWinds. And I remember talking yeah. with them very early – well, very early. I sound all fancy pants. I remember talking to them a long time ago, and they did a lot of networking stuff, and I just kind of nodded my head.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's interesting how it's like such a totally different topic than yeah. the rest of monitoring. But yeah, um, but then yeah. it's
0: basically the same thing. They have just different names for stuff.
1: Like Yeah, and <laughs> – The other thing that's interesting, though, is because I've also wondered about why NPM feels so separate, because there is good overlap between like APM and infrastructure monitoring and log management tools in terms of people who actually use them, you know, Mm -hmm. like you might see a, a single role in a business using all three in some fashion, but those that person hardly ever looks at an NPM tool. It's like, if the network admins are like you know behind this brick wall you know compared to the the other folks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah, wondered, yeah, Sometimes I wonder if it's if it's an organizational thing. No, I, uh, I
0: think I think that's totally the case. I think I think uh, you know this is this is an oversimplification simplification that's only thirty to forty advo- percent uh, advocate advocate. Uh, what's the word? <laughs> accurate. That's accurate. Accurate. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Uh, and uh, it's good to have someone else who works with words, so when I forget, <laughs> they can tell me. Uh, but. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of DevOps is just like networking. We should care about that.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> but and we don't know anything about it. Yeah. So. <laughs> in,
0: in addition to all the other stuff, but let's integrate that together. Yeah. So, right. So, right. so that that's a good overview of like, I mean, so you 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 cover uh, as as an analyst, you cover this as an industry analyst, I should say. You cover you cover all of this stuff uh, very closely. Like, how would you? Well, well, this is sort of. There's two parts, and figure out if you want to merge them together, but how do you like categorize and divide up the uh uh your space monitoring and application but let's we'll just call it monitoring that's I, I like i like to say monitoring because people get all upset that i'm yeah. just saying monitoring <laughs> not not that i want to be like a steve bannon type and, and take like joy and people getting all uh all upset but it's fun to see people squirm on that but how would how do you divide that up and think about the different buckets of things in there
1: well, so, you know, from the very high level, I think of APM infrastructure monitoring, which really sort of has its roots in server monitoring, you know, that's what I'm, I'm really sort of talking about there, log management. And then you've got like, you know, all these kind of smaller segments. So, You know, I I think about database monitoring and a lot of those other, you know, vendors like like an APM or an infrastructure monitoring might do some database monitoring, but there's also vendors that are very focused just on database monitoring. You know, I I look at real user monitoring, synthetics, event correlation, um, alerting, Uh, and, oh, I also, I also follow performance testing, which is kind of a weird add on. So mostly just load testing, um, and then NPM. So that's kind of the categories that I, I think of, um, you know, across the, the sectors that I'm looking at.
0: And, and now, now, of course, one always likes their categories to match reality. So we'll we'll just, we'll just take that as a gentle bit of sugar in the bitter coffee there. But like, (laughs) like. When 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 you're looking out at companies and organizations, like how are they organizing themselves? Like we talked a little bit about like the uh, the brick wall of networking people, but like what's yeah. what's kind of like never minding sort of like the laggards and stuff, which which is interesting, not as interesting, but like what's kind of like the evolving sense of like what ops does in in, yeah. in their spaces.
1: I think there's so much interesting stuff going on right now from an organizational standpoint. And I think that there's a lot of confusion and I think it's a lot of times what is really slowing down organizations, right? Is figuring out how to kind of uh, like what, how to define individual roles and then how to create teams and, mm-hmm. and, and what roles to put in what team. I mean, there's so much going on there, right? So, you, you know, you talk about DevOps folks. We did, there's this survey point that we did um, last year that I think is really interesting where we asked people what's the primary makeup of your IT team? And the answers uh, include specialists. So mostly specialists, mostly generalists, and mostly DevOps folks. And what's, I was actually a little surprised because, you know, I think of um, specialists being the traditional makeup of an IT team, right? So you've got your network admins, you've got, you know, developers, you maybe have database specialists, you've got QA pros. So you've got like all these people who have like a very narrow, specialty that 's kind of right the traditional way that i t teams were made up, um, but in in our survey, that was like only like forty percent of the respondents, and the rest were um, generalists or devops folks and I feel like you can almost put devops into maybe not anyway um, and then we we also looked at that same answer based on how advanced you were. Um, in terms of cloud adoption, and found that the more the people who were more advanced in terms of cloud adoption tended to have more generalists um, and fewer, or more DevOps folks, which is sort of obvious, um, and a lot fewer specialists. So, so in my mind, you know, it's pretty clear that as organizations are adopting new technologies, they're really changing the way that their IT teams are made up, and they're obviously skewing more towards generalists, which you know, seems pretty clear that it helps people move faster. But what's also interesting is when we did, like, like individual interviews as part of this survey, we got some really interesting answers from from people who were like, you know, we're having a really hard time trying to get our traditional specialists to pick up new skills so that they can be, act more like generalists. So, in other words, people who've been doing something for 20 years, they're maybe reluctant to shift and sort of become a generalist. And there was this one, one interview in particular where the person was like, we're dealing with that through attrition. So basically just waiting for people to quit. I was like, that sounds like the worst idea. So in other words, people are struggling yeah. with this, right? So I think something better has, I think the more successful organizations are, um, figuring out how to, Retrain, So make some investment in terms of trying to retrain these people who maybe were traditionally specialists so that they can take on new kinds of skills um, and and do a good job in terms of making people excited about making that transition. Because I, I think that more and more that's going to be the valued skill, right? So rather than just just being really good at one thing, maybe being pretty decent at that one thing, but, but being able to pick up some other stuff as well because mm. it's just helpful people move faster. So that was a very broad answer, I think, to your question. I'm not sure I got in. No, no. As... No,
0: that makes sense and, and, and I mean you, you hit upon a lot of things there. And one of them is to, to drill down on it a little bit or, or yeah. to talk about it more. Do the double click in the parking lot. Uh <laughs> like I you know this this idea or, or this question around specialists, like I mean it does that come up a lot? That comes up a fair amount in like the conversations that I have. And it came up recently where uh, I had given one of my uh, sweeping talks on DevOps and improving software, or whatever nonsense I talk about, and uh, someone said, "But what about the performance managers? Like, surely uh, not every team has a performance management, you know, person? I, I think mm-hmm. they're performance managers." And and yeah, I mean, I mean, it is kind of in the way you're detailing it. There are a lot of specialist roles that the way too easy answer for DevOps stuff is like, "Oh well, of course." You know they're they're not full time <laughs> right? yeah like like they just they just come in to do something, and there's there's almost like you know if you've read too many Socratic dialogues, you're like this, this is starting to feel like one of those unpeelings that totally invalidates the whole point where like finally you're like, and yet a developer is a specialist role as well, right, and then you're like, so it's all nonsense, <laughs> but like it is um there does seem to be a lot of consternating in organizations about not so much well the individuals want to know what happens to them but it is yeah. ensuring that this this um thing keeps being done um, yeah. and is appropriately well, staffed
1: and it's interesting that you you specifically talk about like performance testing people or or you know qa type of folks because
0: right that's I'm the other just... one that comes up is qa and you can yeah. it's always a qa person who has it yeah <laughs>
1: But I'm seeing some actually some really interesting, you know, models kind of emerge on how to handle that. So where it's not like you're going to get rid of all of your, your performance or or your QA specialists, you may have fewer than you used to, but their role becomes slightly different. So, so like you're the QA pro, and maybe you're in a large enterprise where there's a whole bunch of different teams, maybe DevOps teams, developing applications or working on apps, Um, and and you, as the QA person, serve sort of like a consultant. So you you kind of mm. parachute in to one of these DevOps groups, um, maybe as they're doing something new, and you say, "Hey, this is what you guys should be testing. This is where. Here's the tool I like. Here's how you might integrate it with your CI/CD pipeline, so that you know you're testing throughout the way. Um, kind of get people up to speed on it, and then let them go, but say, "I'm here." You know, if you need help, you know, and then, and then move on to the next group. So it's almost like they're like a consultant that kind of parachutes in and helps people get started and, and figure out what they're doing. Um, and then for the most part go away, but still be there if that team needs help. And so that, that way you're not like, expecting a DevOps person to become a QA pro because they're probably not going to be, you know, but you do want good testing, right? So so that's one way to to mm. do it and, and one way I'm hearing some organizations. And and I think that that kind of model can work across other kinds of specialties, you know, like maybe even, I don't know, I don't know, database pros maybe could, could have a similar kind of thing, kind of parachute in and make sure that, I don't know or maybe not. But anyway, I th- I think it's possible for some kinds of other specialist roles to kind of come up with a similar working relationship like that. So there's fewer specialists um but they're uh just help th- they have like a slightly different role.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting. It's it's the uh in uh, in in the search for figuring out what happens to you, it's almost like your parachute is your parachute. Right. In the sense of how do I how do I save myself from this changing thing? Well, because yeah. I'm going to be parachuting into stuff to explain my uh, joke. Right. There. That's true. So <laughs> the humor is always best when you explain it. That, that, that. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, but, but so, so that it, I mean, that does sort of comport with both the theory of what you would want and and maybe with what you see. I don't know. It'll be interesting. But, you know, you're hitting on another and we'll we'll get back to the, uh, the nitty gritty of monitoring after all our highfalutin culture talk here. But um, yeah. You know you're hitting on another thing that that I don't know I've started to notice and think about and and to make a line a long wind up to it so first of all, it's this idea of reversing the flow of who needs to change in the sense of like you were just saying, like maybe it's the d b a who needs to change what they're doing and not the development team right mm-hmm. and so like I remember most recently, I was encountering this in um uh Mark Schwartz's new book uh a seat at the table that guy i'll, I'll have to get him on the show he's always has good books but he he kind of is brushing up against this notion of like so if you have an agile team in place or agile or devops eventually the business needs to sort of like get the memo and change how they think about things because yep. they're always going to want you to do annual budget planning and do this stuff and so like it's kind of like they need to change and and like i think a lot of you know what we were just talking about it is one of the frustrations i always have is like the nerds are sort of done transforming like there's no more transforming left for the nerds to do (laughs) like what what needs to not, not that it's been applied everywhere but like the science of what the nerds need to do is taken care of right like we don't need to study that more they just need to actually do it whereas the science of changing the management side to take advantage of like devops and agile stuff like i don't get the sense that that's really happening so much
1: yeah and and actually, maybe one indication that you're right, and I'm not sure this is really the same thing, but but one thing I think is really interesting is that I hear a lot from enterprises, you know either like you know clients of ours or just people that I bump into at conferences or hear ask questions at conferences is um this whole idea of trying to sell you know devops or agile to the powers that be who who mm. need to be sold on it in order to loosen the purse strings in case you need to invest in new tooling right so there's this bottoms up thing where the folks that that want to be agile and want to do the devops and move faster um are having they're they're pushing up against you know, executives who are resistant to that kind of change. And, and one of the questions that these people are asking is, how do we, uh, how do we prove it? How do we prove success? How do we show that this is a good idea? (laughs) And, and that's kind of circling back to the whole monitoring um, topic, because I actually think monitoring tools can be really useful there. So, you know, you could say, let's, let's move this one small app to the cloud or whatever and start doing all this new stuff or, or, you know, build a new like small app and, and use all the cutting edge stuff and, and like, let's monitor kind of the before and then the after so that we can show you what's different, like why, why we should be doing this, like what's successful, you know? Um, and my point is, I'm hearing a lot of questions about how to, do that what should we measure how do we measure it and how do we use that to prove to the powers that be that this is a worthwhile thing to do and and worth investing in so i think that that indicates that there's a problem there right that these that people are having a problem selling this idea yeah um which i think sort of supports maybe what you were saying
0: yeah 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 well first of all it's great that you can deal with my questions that end with a period I find that very few people uh, can handle that. But you just like don't miss a beat, and like that was a great question, <laughs> even though it wasn't. But uh, anyhow, uh, yeah, I, I mean, as as ever was the problem, right? Like you've got that dreaded business IT alignment. I don't know what right. the kids call it nowadays, but it is, and and then and then wangling back to monitoring as as you were hopefully doing. It is man proving proving the ROI of a monitoring tool without it being like a cleanup thing. Right. Like is, it must be very difficult. Like it's one thing if it's like, um, you know, we didn't know what was going on and lost a bunch of money or other bad metrics. So now we have monitoring in place and it's wonderful, (laughs) but but it, it is, you know, to that area. And, and, I mean, to that point and also the business IT alignment, like, um, I think in the most the most recent, uh, like the market overview thing, you said, like you put it, in an interesting way that there's like amongst the vendors and also the users, there's like some soul searching, as as you put it, about what is monitoring and what should we be doing. So, like, like what is that? What is that soul searching? What's like the existential crisis people are
1: having? <laughs> um, I mean, I think there's a lot going on. So. You know, there's a lot going on in terms of, of. I mean, I think so much of it revolves around tooling. So, you know, you used to have people who were like, yeah, you need an APM, you need infrastructure monitoring, you need log management. Like, everyone sort of was in agreement that you need those three types of tools. And now there's like this real sort of blurring of lines, um, both in terms of individual vendors offering all of the above and more. Um, or, you know, folks coming out that are kind of saying, it's, it, you could do with one or the other, or you could do something totally different, you know, like a honeycomb, which, um, kind of has this really different messaging than other folks do. So I think that there's, um, there's a lot of, there's new vendors coming out with sort of new perspectives. Um, and it's, I think it's frankly a little confusing for, Folks that have traditionally used monitoring tools, like what are all these new tools coming out, and sh- should I be thinking of them, and and how does that relate to what I traditionally understood to be, you know, these three tools that I need? Mm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. But no, that's no, kind no. Of like no, no it,
0: it, it it makes sense. I mean, the monitoring, at least in 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 my experience, is always a. Um, what do you call it a uh, reactive uh or or i guess if you're going to be positive responsive <laughs> uh like <laughs> like reactive thing in in that it it has it has to follow whatever the applications or the it is that's running right like you can't yeah. monitoring can't invent a new application type <laughs> it it has right. to, it has to trail what the new types are and so uh you know at 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 at, at my uh nominal day job over over at pivotal like we and our competitors are trying to change what applications look like which drives a tremendous amount of churn in the monitoring space uh yeah. which which is interesting and then and and then also sort of like like narrow, you know going down further like what um and then there's also, like, new things available, new technologies available to change monitoring around, right? And, yeah. And two, if I was going to be the old annoying person who always leaves comments on my register stuff that it's always been this way, that type of person. Like, you know, we're always trying to make sense of the piles of data that we have there. But yeah. there's, there's a lot of new stuff available. And so anyways, um, like, what are, what are those new, like, ideas or, or technologies that people are using or even new perspectives on what monitoring is? Like, you're alluding to Honeycomb
1: yeah so well i think there's there's discussion about you know like can you just can you collect a whole bunch of events um and then do you know just proactive ad hoc querying to figure out what's going on or does the the wall of dashboards um suffice to help you figure out what's uh you know going on there's also this whole idea around combining um metrics and logs under one umbrella so trying to combine monitoring and troubleshooting in one place so mm. um obviously there's a lot there's a lot going on there so the, you know the idea is still running with the sort of traditional monitoring idea whereby the tool that you're using alert you to the fact that something strange is going on but then it's then right there it pulls in the relevant logs um you know that are associated with whatever performance issue is going on so you can dig into them right there versus switching to another tool and trying to find the logs that might be relevant to that performance problem so there's a lot of like talk about that which i think has interesting implications on um you know what that means for your separate log tool that you most likely already have um so, I mean that's that's one biggie and one thing that people are are talking about a lot. There's also obviously, you know, the emergence of machine learning in a lot of these tools. And, and I actually got a question from a, a random guy at a conference um last week about, you know, whether or not the new machine learning technologies in the monitoring tool they were using meant that that they shouldn't consider um like a traditional Event correlation type of uh, hmm. product like a Moogsoft or a Big Panda, so you know that's kind of an interesting overlap happening as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Are 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 you hopeful for the uh, the machine learning stuff? You think that'll finally solve the problem?
1: I mean, I think I think that some of the really basic stuff can be super useful, right? I mean, like just. Basic anomaly detection, so basically automatic thresholding, that can tell you, you know, when some metric is going awry, can be super helpful compared to um, the older tools where you had to, you know, set a, a threshold yourself, which you know isn't very useful as usage patterns change. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I think. I think even that really basic stuff can be really useful. Um, I think at this point, some of the more like really whiz bang um, correlation stuff that people are talking about around machine learning um, is... Um, probably is maybe not all that useful right now, but I think it could be. I mean, I think it's interesting stuff, right? And, and I think there's a lot of investments being made in different kinds of machine learning technologies. And I'm hearing about really different approaches that, that the different vendors are taking that sound interesting to me. Um, I also like the, I like the, the products that, um, that look at the response that an individual user makes to a performance problem. Mm. Um, and then can present suggestions when a similar problem occurs in the future. Like, that seems to me a really useful use case, particularly in a large enterprise where you might have a big team of people, you know, responding to a performance issue. If you can say, hey, look what your peers did the last five times this happened – um, and how it solved the problem, like that seems pretty cool, and and not that sophisticated. Like it's not that. Oh, hard
0: to, I see. I see what you mean. It's so, it's sort of like uh, your fellow like ops person. Here's how they yeah, solve that problem with it. Exactly. Yeah, that is interesting to sort of yeah. track track those best practices and codify them.
1: Right, and not that hard. Right, that doesn't sound like the most sophisticated thing on the planet to do. I mean, I'm not saying I could write. It <laughs> <laughs> that. but you know what I mean like right, it's like right, right. you just look for this similar performance problem in the past and and look at what happened as a result and then present that so um I think there's cool possibility I think your question was like what's it doing right now and and to me it seems like you know i'm still hearing skepticism from end users so um that probably indicates that there's more work to be done to make that stuff super useful
0: yeah yeah well you know ops people are notoriously skeptical of rainbows yeah (laughs) it's like it's all it's all it's all tornadoes and earthquakes to them but that's that's sort of like their job breeds that kind of thing it's very rare that you meet an optimistic ops person like uh like what's the, what e, even even their optimistic phrases are are pessimistic like we'll find new ways to fail tomorrow <laughs> 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 let's let's invent new problems tomorrow uh yeah right but uh so so then also like um like i mean was, so so what's this whole like uh without leading you too much like what's this whole like observability thing what's that mean
1: That's a hard one. I mean, I think it's more like the the thinking is more like having the data and the tools at your fingertips to figure out what's going on versus some tool throwing up a wall of dashboards. I mean, that's mm. that's kind of what I tend to think of when I think of the idea of observability is, is less about this wall of dashboards and more about having a good understanding of what's going on in your systems. Um but I don't know, it's kind of nebulous. And I also think that that's one of those things that everyone you talk to has a different idea of what it means. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's yeah. kind of, I don't know. I don't know. What are you hearing about no, that? that? That's, he that's,
0: just, that's a good uh, honest answer because it matches about uh, half of, of what I'm seeing. I mean, I mean, I remember hearing about it last year, and, and it's just a sort of like, hmm, sounds like monitoring. Uh, yeah. But. <laughs> but um, you know what as i as i've read more about the idea noticed it evolving uh the second stage was sort of like so you're talking about instrumentation right and i think Mm. that's i don't know if that's how this idea started out but it is um that that sort of makes sense of something novel and by instrumentation I, i guess i guess it means to make something observable right and and I think there's a, there's a couple of peculiar things that I filter it down to. I mean, tell me if, if, if you see this as one, for the most part, observability at the moment only applies to like custom written software. Like, I don't think I should, you probably don't get much observability in your ERP and your SharePoint app, right? Like it's, it's a, it's, uh, you get what you get with those things, which yeah. is sort of the point is that if you are writing your own software, particularly in like a. I don't know, container, microservice, blah, 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 like method. Um, you have the chance, well, one, it's hard to monitor that stuff because it's a very distributed application. But you also have the chance to make it easily monitorable, which is maybe why you say observable because it's hard to say monitorable. But <laughs> you you have the chance to instrument it, and then, therefore, there's that. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, I th- I think the... The, one of the huge problems that this space has always had is those damn developers don't write code that we can manage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if you get them to actually make their code observable, you have a huge chance to do new things. But I don't know. I, like you, like I still I, – I like, I like the people who use that word. But I'm always trying to separate <laughs> out marketing bullshit from like this right. is actually a thing. So right. I, I remain pleasantly skeptical and curious.
1: Well, and you know what's interesting, just circling back to one thing you were talking about, which was was more like your package SaaS app, like an ERP type of app, um, one thing that I found interesting as I've started digging into the NPM world is that's something that some of the NPM folks do is they have agents that they w- will put on a machine, like so on employee laptops, um, to be able to observe the performance of a package app. And obviously, um, at a different level than you were talking about in terms of being able to right. monitor, like, to code level. But, you know, it's, you're not going to obviously get to code level with a packaged app like that, right? So, um, so it's, to me, that, that feels like a really um, difficult <laughs> way to try to um, observe the performance of an app, right? Like, if you've got to manage all these agents on individual user laptops, that just seems, I don't know. Like a pain, right? But it, but it's interesting, and and it, it's something. Obviously, I think a lot of enterprises actually do. So um, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that that emerges, how popular that emerges in terms of trying to get a handle on the performance of packaged SaaS apps. Yeah, 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 With,
0: yeah. No, that, that's it, it's interesting. You put it that way because that does. It makes a lot of sense that if if you have to keep using the term, if if the it thing the entity that you're in charge of managing and that's also monitoring is not observable or you know there's always yeah. some like snmp or jmx thing that like some some well intentioned developer put some stuff in there and it's it's you know 30% useful i say that as someone who used to do that uh, but oh yeah <laughs> but uh uh the network is sort of like the main thing especially in a client server app even if it's a web app or whatever like to some extent what you're trying to do is prove that it's not your fault
1: yeah (laughs) and and totally and
0: and then being more optimistic you're also trying to find the obvious commonly occurring problems that you can fix like oh your network connection is bad let's fix that right Um, and so that probably is like networking becomes one of the main things you can do with uh package software
1: yeah totally so another thing that i think is interesting actually that I'm going to be curious how this emerges, and you might have some interesting perspective on this because you've been following the space a lot longer than I am. But there's been a lot more talk about tracing and the importance of tracing Mm. um, uh, these days, especially in applications that might be uh, built using microservices or containers. And I think there's... You know, it was like a year ago, I feel like I felt like a whole bunch of excitement around the idea of tracing and mm. how helpful it can be, um, particularly sort of in terms of, of like, context. So, um, like, if you're a microservices owner, um, uh, tracing can help you understand um, maybe how neighboring uh, workloads might be impacting the performance of your microservice. Um, but, that, but there's also you know, a lot of talk about complexity involved with tracing and obviously all this work around Um, tracing standards so that if you do the work, like, I think it's hard to implement, right? Um, Especially in a complex app and and, uh, hard to keep updated as you um, evolve your apps. Um, And obviously, if you are switching tools, then then you sort of have to start all over if they're not using the same tracing standard. But I think that um, I'm going to be curious to watch sort of how tracing evolves, because I think it can be, useful um, for some kinds of more modern applications
0: yeah yeah No, your timeline's interesting because I think I think you're right like about a year ago maybe maybe something like zipkin had general availability and so there was like a media blitz around it like I remember uh, in in springland I forget what we call it because I'm an excellent marketer uh, but <laughs> but you know with in in uh, in the spring framework stuff there's a uh, there's a use of zipkin. Mm. Mm. anyways but so so a lot of stuff did come out and and yeah like that that's as as you're going over you're making me think like that's another interesting example of i think you call it like the shift left which i finally get that term it's like it's like shifting over left is like developers right yeah yeah (laughs) and um that's right so i've heard that term forever and like i i never really knew what it meant (laughs) um just like just like tailwinds and headwinds that took me a long time to figure (laughs) out Um, whatever that may, and, and then there's also like, what, what's the other financial thing they always use that's like, has a religious name to it. It's like, uh, let's see, you've got the religious people, they have a name and then the non-religious secular, it's like secular oh, wow. forces. And you're like, what does that mean? Like oh. the people who are atheists are affecting the market or something. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> that's weird. Yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> there, there was, there was Cote's bucket of confusion, a little, a peek into it. But, um, Yeah, it it seems like tracing is another example of what we're talking about is the developers being more responsible. And I haven't pulled enough back to do more than kind of wryly make fun of it. But it seems like a lot of this tracing stuff is like, oh, so the developers are going to have a mechanism where a unique ID is placed along every part of the process. And then you log with that ID so you can correlate all these events. And it's Mm -hmm. like... Yes, if we could do this, that would not be a problem. Right, <laughs> right. It's just right. like it's like that. Yeah, that's uh, that's an issue. Uh, and yeah. so, um, I think maybe the idea is is it goes back to what we we're talking about is maybe developers are more willing to do that, and then also, I, I think it might be the case that the way you would do container stuff and microservices, like it makes it a little easier to automate that. Maybe I I don't know. Like it's I I'm like you. I'm a little. I shouldn't be since I work at Pivotal, but I'm a little confused about it uh beyond just applying to net new applications that you do. Um but it would right. be fun if like as you containerize things it becomes easier to insert that uh that tracing token or, or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like there was, you know, at Monitorama last year, tracing was sort of like the big theme. And and I always think it's interesting what emerges as sort of the big theme at Monitorama because, you know, it it sort of it happens coincidentally. Really right. I mean, it's like all these people prepare talks on whatever they think is interesting, and Mm. and it's always interesting as an attendee to discover that like it seems like a lot of people are talking about the same thing. So last year it was tracing. So there were you know there were a lot of the big sort of like web scale um, type of of SaaS you know app people um, on stage talking about how they're using tracing. So um it's interesting what you just said though like in terms of maybe it works for net new so these are you know relatively new apps right and and maybe it was something that these people were able to to deploy from the very beginning but they did all talk about how challenging it is especially as you make changes in your environment and stuff to keep keep up with tracing and, and make sure because the thing is if you start adding a whole bunch of new stuff into your app and you're not uh you know instrumenting them properly for tracing then you're not tracking them you're not seeing yeah. that right so it's a it's a complicated thing but it seems like it can be really useful for people who have have managed to um uh do it right you yeah, know like yeah. put the work into it so i don't know yeah
0: no i think i think all that stuff we were just talking about is hopefully i mean hopefully there'll be many things but uh if there's only one thing is like the lasting legacy of devops is developers being aware that their stuff is going to run in production totally, <laughs> and, and and writing their code appropriately like hopefully yeah. hopefully by like in a week when i when i publish this the the register will have, have published one of my little uh uh um i don't know what they call them feature things like additional columns where i think what i ended up arguing is that uh devops is being subsumed by sre or something like that but that is like that is sort yeah. of what you would want to see is, is, is like, yeah, you should make it so stuff is monitorable. So uh, along, along those lines, well, related, um, you know, as, as yeah. we're talking about like like Zipkin and machine learning, like uh, one of the things that I've always noticed and, and, been, and been very curious about uh, in a different in – a, in a related way is it seems like uh, in, in – let's call it the systems management space, um, that industry – has a bad habit of solving new problems and letting old ones fester. <laughs> like, like they don't really address a lot of the old issues. They just get enamored of the new ones. And <laughs> one way of, one way that I sort of think about that, other than like, we just kind of like, um, you know, listed a bunch of new things and how they're exciting and how like, maybe it only applies, you know, my theory that it only applies to new things is like, like, so why, I don't know I don't think this phrase is used anymore but like why don't the big 4 just do all this stuff <laughs> like they seem to not really ever innovate mm-hmm. and and so like it's almost like the definition of what the big 4 is is like they don't they don't come up with these things and sort of like the startup risk management way of doing innovation stuff aside they all are very well positioned as far as market share largely what i mean by that is footprint right and like incrementally they could add new things and have a huge effect and also they would like to keep making money (laughs) so like it's weird that that i don't know if you would agree with this but like not a lot of innovation in systems management comes out of they're all kind of broken up now but like out of ca bmc uh i guess it's micro focus now out of hp and uh Mm -hmm. tivoli which no one says that anymore but it's it's odd that they don't just solve these problems or i don't know do you think do you think that's sort of the case or or what, what what do they do there
1: i think i think one of the challenges is that um i think it's hard or impossible for them to solve some of the problems associated with newer technologies so uh f- by by with with their existing platform. So if you're talking mm. about like a legacy APM or infrastructure monitoring tool um and you your customer suddenly wants to be um doing a better job at monitoring multi-cloud environments, containers and microservices, you you basically can't just add that to this legacy APM and infrastructure monitoring tool. It's because it's not going to it's not going to keep up. It doesn't have the back-end big data Power to right. be able to do a good job at that, so what are your options as a vendor? like you You can basically start all over and like create a whole new monitoring tool, um, but you know how do you do that and still serve your old customer? Do you ask that existing customer to start using two different tools because it 's going to be really hard to integrate the two um, you know are you going to alienate your customers that are still moving really slowly? so I think all of those types of issues are at play um, as these vendors try to sort of protect their install base um, and, and figure out how to move ahead. And basically what they they've ended up doing is st- starting all over and that creates its, its own set of challenges. So like CA actually I think does has been doing some sort of interesting things. Um, they've just re- they created this whole new, like big data back end engine that they're using to run the saas the new like saas versions of apm and infrastructure monitoring and stuff but but it's a new product right so like how do you transition those older uh, c- company you know your legacy customers who are on the legacy products into this new one and and what i don't think anyone has figured out is how to do that transition without inviting those customers to look at your competition mm. because basically oh, that's interesting. if you have right because if you have to if you're the customer and you have to install all new agents in order to use these new products and get used to um, a whole new UI and stuff like that why wouldn't you be like well why don't i see what else is out there while i'm at it cuz i've got to i've got to totally change everything yeah so I mean, I think that, but no one's really, I don't know how you can solve that. I don't think there really is a way to solve that problem. And, and I think everyone's facing that. And I don't think that that's necessarily slowing them down from innovating. Um, I mean, I think in terms of your bigger question, like, why don't those guys just, why aren't they more innovative? You know, I mean, I think it's like any sort of big, slow moving company, they're they're not going to do it until they feel really pressured into it by yeah. emerging competition. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, so, so a couple of things in reverse order. I mean, you're you're making me think that I, I should try to put together a theory that's basically we should stop expecting large organizations to innovate or self disrupt because that's not what they do. Yeah. <laughs> like which is which is more just like it's more sort of like collective therapy of like, but that's not the point, right? Like the whole point is they don't they don't do that, right? Like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't make sense unless there's an exogenous threat to change what you're doing. And then right. and then and I I like your point of like you don't want to um you don't want to change the paradigm so much that you You start a new bake off. Like that's a real that's a savvy way of thinking about it. Sort of like you don't want to risk the pina colada song, right? Like everything (laughs) turns out fine in that song in the end, but like you don't want to you don't want to open that window to uh, to finding other people who who might want to do stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And And I think ever. You know, I'm just I'm just out of the Dynatrace's um, annual conference last Mm. year and that's something or last week and that's something that I think they're facing. So they have this whole new platform that they built that used to be called Ruxid. You know, it's their SaaS platform. It's designed for cloud native and you know, containers and microservices and stuff. But that's exactly what their old customers have to do to move on to that. They have to deploy new agents and and I just think that's gonna that opens and, and I don't think they're in a unique position. So, you know, anyone else that's been around for a while that has Created a whole new platform is in that same spot to their customer yeah so yeah, yeah.
0: I, I really like your working th- sorry to interrupt you there a little bit but no. I, I, I really like your working theory there of the existing technology just isn 't up to the task, <laughs> just like yeah. you know full stop as they say and and that does like thinking about it that does kind of comport with my own experience and observations like i didn 't actually observe the framework days of Tivoli. But the old timers at the time used to tell me a lot about it, how they, uh, they basically decided they need to rewrite everything in a centralized like Corba. And then I think Java thing. And I think it largely turned out to be a disaster and career limiting for a lot of people, but. The intentions were nice. <laughs> like you yeah. need to you need to rewrite the back end. And then also like while I was at BMC, I was part of an effort to basically totally rewrite Patrol just because mm-hmm. the old Patrol didn't work. And and we right. took we took the existing product, well, it didn't work for the new things, I should say. We took the existing the product we are working on uh and basically it became Patrol eventually. And then I think it merged with whatever that event thing that they bought was, but that was long after I left. And then more recently, um, the people at Xenos, I think, have over yeah. the past few years have been basically rewriting their entire backend. Like they switched from Python to Java, I think, and then they figured out how to get Hadoop in there. And I think now they're like – they're constantly gardening the backend of their system, which, yeah. which, again, building on your theory is sort of like – Maybe counterintuitively, but what you want to see from your systems management vendor is they're constantly rewriting. <laughs> constantly, yeah. maybe is too strong of a word, but they are wisely rewriting their system as is required to keep up with things.
1: Yeah, and I mean Xenos is interesting too because they're they're also working on like a totally new you know real SaaS offering that they're about to. So they've been offering something they call ZaaS cleverly. Hey, Z A A S. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I've been really kind of being nitpicky about, there's a, there's a lot of folks in the monitoring, a lot of vendors in the monitoring space that say that they have SaaS offerings, but you know, I, I don't, I don't think you can call something SaaS if it's not, if it's hosted. So a lot of them are just doing hosted. Yeah. And I think there's a real difference between hosted and a true multi-tenant SaaS offering. And it may not be that different uh, from the, get-go for your customer, but it's going to be really different for the vendor, both in terms of their efficiency and cost totally. and also capabilities. And I think Xenos is really interesting because they they really acknowledge that. They're like, you know, if we're on true SaaS, we get some interesting, um, you know, like machine learning advantages down the road by being able to anonymously look at what all of our customers are doing yeah. and then ultimately using that to present some interesting you know recommendations or whatever to customers so um you know i think that's kind of an interesting thing to keep an eye on too and obviously not an easy thing to you know that the that transition from you know and actually speaking of i think dynatrace has done something really interesting with their SaaS platform so it's SaaS, but you can you can get a managed you can use the new dynatrace in like an on-prem managed um Deployment, so it's they're they're right right they're yeah so they're keeping the the two the, you know feature parity between the true SaaS, but the but like the only way that you can do on prem is if it's if it's managed by Dynatrace, which I think is interesting because it allows for that feature parity, um, and, but it it allows enterprises that still like refuse to go to SaaS to use them. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, the, 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 like in your report, you're saying uh, like 68 of the 119 vendors you cover have uh, SaaS, which which I think is uh, yeah, that's that's the obvious path for all software. But but then you're also hitting on something that I mean, tell me if if you notice this, but it seems like for the foreseeable future, let's say five years, uh, like you have to do both, be on premise and SaaS to some extent. Like you might be able to get well to, to be nuanced about it often you have to be able to at least have an agent or a proxy on premise and and to be able to pump things up. And it seems like over the years, like an ongoing joke I have in my head and with a few other people is like, you go talk to a new startup in this space, and they'll say we're a SaaS only. And if you if you you can just nod and and smile, but if you want to be a real uh you know a hole, as they say, you can be like, yep, call me when you have an on premise thing, right? Like it's just like <laughs> inevitably you're gonna have an on premise thing. It happened to it happened to like Chef. It happened to all the monitoring vendors, and like every single person is gonna have an on premise thing. But
1: but not really. I mean, does New Relic? I think New Relic mm, is SaaS yeah, yeah, yeah. only. Yeah. It, and same with DataDog.
0: Yeah, so maybe the theory is uh, not panning out anymore. That was only a late two thousands <laughs> thing.
1: I mean, I think I think that you're gonna obviously have a larger addressable market if you do on um, prem and yeah. SaaS. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Um, I can see why a vendor doesn't necessarily want to do that because that's got to be really hard to manage both of those. I mean, yeah. it's like two separate code bases, right? I mean, like that's got to be really hard. Um, but but I do think that that there's still, you know, a huge addressable market if you're SaaS only. And I think, you know, the new relics and the data dogs of the world are proving that out. And then, and the newer players that are SaaS only, you know, I think that there's a big enough um, market of businesses, maybe newer businesses that are cloud only, you know, that have very little or no um, workloads running on-prem that you're going to appeal to. So, yeah, I think you can make it. I think obviously it's better to be both, but I I don't think it's a death knell if you're SaaS only. Yeah, no,
0: that that's good. I I mean I think I think as the rise of public cloud goes up, then SaaS is you don't need on premise stuff in, in in this space. Yeah. I think it makes a lot yeah. of sense. Plus plus to go back to uh, a touch point, like you've got all the old existing tools for on premise stuff. So just keep using right. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's <That's> true. <laughs> and 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 those will work out. So uh in in that area of innovation, like what, um, how how would you describe like the M and A landscape of this? Like, what is what's the general sort of like thing that happens, right? Like, what's the what's the lifespan of you know what what what's the word I'm looking for? Like, what's the pipeline of like startup to existing company or not? But like, what are the patterns of M and A that that you see?
1: Well, it's weird because I kind of feel like like things are not happening as I would predict. <laughs> <laughs> right. so it seems like like what's been happening in terms of m a has been a little surprising to me so what i think to me sounds really logical like what I think should happen is there's kind of like a set of new um based monitoring vendors that are focused on like containers and microservices and that kind of stuff it what seems logical to me would be for the legacy guys even like you know the the big four, you know, the CAs of the world, or even, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it Xenos legacy, but, you know, someone like that's been around for a while like that. Like, it would make sense to me for, for that set of vendors to buy some of these new SaaS container-based vendors, right? Like, yeah. just buy it and, and get – but that's not happening, <laughs> So yeah, yeah. to me, that's just, like a lot of these older vendors, the legacy vendors are, are building it themselves instead of buying, which I think is really curious. So, mm. I, you know, I, we'll see if that changes. Um, but to me, that seems like a logical space for M&A to happen. We've seen a bunch, well, a couple of monitoring vendors buying log startups, right? So Datadog did. Um, SolarWinds has now bought two log Vendors, so I think that there might be more activity there. There is a few of the smaller um, log folks um, still around, and I think maybe they'll tie up with some of the monitoring folks. Um, where else was I? I think, oh, well, you know, and then there's kind of like niche things. So, there's been you know, CA bought Blaze Meter, obviously, and I think that there could be more M&A between monitoring and performance testing, hmm. possibly. Um, so... Uh, and then, you know, anything else that, I, I think that there's, there can, this, and I know that this theme has been, going on for years. But you know, I think that there's going to continue to be vendors that wanna call themselves a platform. So span, APM, infrastructure monitoring, log management, and then like other niche things like ROM and synthetics. And like so so you can be one vendor that does all of that. And obviously we're seeing that with like Dynatrace and Datadog, New Relic, and maybe App Dynamics. So I think that there might be more MA activity so that each of those four that I I just named can plug any holes. Um and maybe even some other vendors uh try to do similar things. So mm. um you know pair up with other vendors so that they can be more of that platform kind of approach.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting. I'll have to I'll have to see if uh if y'all have have written this up in any way, but it is the usual pipeline for a, a startup in this space is is to get bought by someone. I mean, historically I guess you have yeah. you have New Relic and Splunk which IPO'd. And and there there's some other independents, but independents in this space are rare. <laughs> and and so mm-hmm. if if that trend is not happening, like like uh if if <laughs> to use the uh, slightly faint praise of the big vendors are innovating on their own and it's shocking. <laughs> uh yeah. <laughs> like like if that actually is happening, which is awesome, then it's it's a little Different for uh, for startups. Who the startup, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: no. It really yeah.
0: Is. So, so before before we get to the end, uh, I wanted to get your at the end. I wanted to get your take, just kind of rapidly on uh, a, a few companies and sort of topics. But uh, so I, I met you back when you were uh, like an editor and a tech journalist in tech yeah. news, and um, you know, obviously tech being my hobby because I'm exciting at parties uh like i'm always interested in industry and and so i'm curious like now that you're an analyst and you've got more time to think and having been in that business i guess you had plenty of time to think then uh but like like what what do you think about what do you think about tech news nowadays like what what is as as an industry like how's it doing and like who who do you think are good outlets and and things going on there
1: no, that it's kind of a dead end question with me. I got to tell you, because you know, it's, well, because what's funny when I started this job, I mean, you know, as a tech journalist for a couple of decades, every day started the same, right? Like, just go out to a whole bunch of you know regular sites and and read everything out there, like see what happened overnight, basically. Yeah. Um. And so when I took this job at Four Five One Research i i was doing the same thing right but the problem was you know i'm covering this pretty narrow niche and so the vast majority of what i was reading had nothing to do with this with my space so i kind of quit doing it so it's like i just have like a few targeted i mean honestly mostly what i read in terms of news related to my coverage area comes in newsletters right so like yeah i've, no, I've noticed that a lot those. recently. Yeah. And there's an SRE one that I read. So that's where I get most of my, you know, in quote news. And those aren't journalists. Those are like people who are just gathering blog posts and, and, you know, uh, interesting observations that people have written online together into a little newsletter and sending it along. So, um, so honestly, I don't, I don't read the tech crunches or, or anything of the world really anymore. Unless like for some reason it just lands in my lap.
0: Yeah. And, and, so and so, kind of a non-answer for you. Yeah, sorry. no, no, no. And 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 even though to your point, maybe your your firsthand knowledge is a a couple of years now, like a couple of years out of date. Like, what are this is kind of like the other question is like, so why are the tech news sites not very good? <laughs> like, like is it is it just like um, it it could be that they actually are perfectly normal, and because other people are out there, there are just better sources. Or it could be that the business is terrible. Like, I don't know. Like, it is it is kind of I, – I don't know. It's weird. Like, there's a few sources. Like, I always say that, like, uh, I think – I forget the site that Timothy Prickett Morgan does. But he's really – his people are really good. Like, they're very in-depth and they cover things. And And, you know, the register has, like, goofball stuff every now and then. But generally, I think in the amount of space they have, they have some pretty good coverage. But – it's kind of like hit or miss outside of those and a couple of other venues and like what is there anything about like the business of tech news that is like definitely causes this stuff
1: like when i started out you know i i started out covering mobile telecom um and i was writing like i don't know like like three stories a week or something like that so like You know, that's a lot of time to go out and interview people (laughs) and work on and think about your story and work on it. And when I quit, I was writing like two stories a day. So it's like, you know, and people do more than that. They're churning out three, four, five stories a day. Like, how much thought can you put into it? And how much time do you have to actually talk to people who are going to inform what you're writing? None. So that's the, the model has become volume over quality. So these, these sites just have to churn out tons and tons of stories and the, they don't want to pay anybody. So they're paying fewer writers to write more and you don't have the time to think about it. And yeah. So, So and then it became like the big race for like who can break news. So then it's all just like people churning out stuff as fast as they can, hoping to be like the first one out.
0: Yeah. No. and, And, and also, uh, you know something somewhat somewhat building on what you're saying is i find um in in the space of infrastructure software that i care about like one of the thoughts i have uh, a lot is like there's just not that much news <laughs> right like really? like, uh-huh. like you know compared to um you know to me i i i get riled about how tech news nowadays is basically writing about facebook it's and apple <laughs> it's just like yeah. it's just is all consuming which for out outside of my own predilections is fine because they generate a lot of news, right? I mean, yeah. they're just following news. Whereas, like, there's not a lot of stuff happening in this area. Like, there's a lot of like theory and practitioner stuff, but like news items don't come up that much. And people over yeah. at like at the news stack, uh, they're another good source. Like, they manage yeah. to come up with something to write about daily, <laughs> which right. which is difficult. But it's not like if you had to produce like three stories a day you would run out of wacky things that oracle has said.
1: <laughs> like right.
0: you the the well would just run dry.
1: And then it's hard for any site to keep a journalist that knows a lot about that subject because they have to be writing so much every day, right? So you you don't have the opportunity to create expertise on staff. For like a narrow subject like that,
0: yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. All right, so I'm going to try a new format here. We'll see if it sticks. Okay. I'm, I'm direct. I'm stealing this from uh, Tyler Cohen. I don't know if you ever listened to his podcast, Conversations I don't. with Tyler. You should check it out. Oh, okay. It's, it's okay. fun. He's yeah. he's kind of a weird dude, but it's in it, it results in good content. So okay. so here's the theory. I'm going to ask you about a few companies in this area and just give me like a brief brief reaction to them how they're doing or whatever and news events okay. and like you know these are so we'll see i might have to specify the question more but like i said you you seem to be able to keep up with my uh, vague nonsense so that that cool. sounds good or <laughs> okay. i shouldn't say keep up you can interpolate my open-ended <laughs> craziness uh, cool. so here's the first one cisco and app dynamics what's what's up Man. with that
1: who knows <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, a, that's a good answer all right we'll move yeah. on <laughs> really
1: <laughs> sure
0: i think we should okay. leave it at that that's perfect okay uh and then okay so solar winds Do you think going private has been good for them
1: i do you know it's interesting they get a lot of of well i would say maybe flack from competitors for having like all of these different products that i mean interoperate to some degree but that and and customer has to like buy a whole bunch of different stuff to get everything but that model works really well i mean they're they're totally humming along they have like absurd numbers of customers um so and and it it appears that they've been very free to make acquisitions um in areas yeah, that true. they want to make acquisitions so it, i from my perspective it looks like it's working
0: yeah 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 i think i think they're they've become a much more interesting maybe even vibrant and thriving company <laughs> after after going private i think i think they're huh, yeah. i i i have a bias of interest to be oh, yeah. have a funny interest cuz they're in austin and i'm in austin but yeah. Like they uh, yeah right. i think i think they're interesting yeah. and and then so yeah. do you cover do you cover at all like ServiceNow and or spiceworks
1: Spiceworks, not at all. I cover, so ServiceNow, you know, I, I went to their conference last year, um, and I talked to them occasionally. I don't cover that, the space that they're in, so I don't cover like all their competitors or anything. I, I talked, I'm interested in them just because so many, of the vendors that I follow have ServiceNow integrations, and so many yeah, of the you yeah. know enterprises that are buying monitoring tools like do things with ServiceNow. So I, I just want to be aware of what they're doing, but I don't follow them like super super closely. No, that,
0: that that makes sense. I think so. I think ServiceNow still kind of a big deal.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> I I am sort of baffled by them because I, I hear a lot like f- uh, end customers. There's a lot they hate about ServiceNow. Like they think. They hate There's the CMDB. I mean, not just ServiceNow, but they hate CMDBs, period. They hate <laughs> right. um, some of the, like, incident management stuff that feels, like, antiquated if you are if you want to use something like a pager duty instead or something like that. So, like, there's a lot of, like, animosity, but they, they're huge and they're growing. And, you know, everyone wants integrations with them, which indicates to me that they're everywhere, right, yeah. in every enterprise. So kind of an interesting beast.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I remember their last... Uh knowledge I went to like three of their conferences and the last one I went to it was just like it was it was a I think well I think it was a good reaction I had and a very genuine reaction of like I was walking along the booth floor and I was like holy shit this is massive right and yeah this this community and this pot of cash is just like crazy and uh, the
1: conference is enormous I mean for for a single and I don't remember the number of attendees off the top of my head but I remember being a Downed it. I mean for a single vendor conference, it's an enormous conference. Yeah, which yeah. For is sure. A good indication of you know how much interest there is in a product, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> who who
0: who would have thought that help desk was such a big deal? But but there you are. So final one. I know. Seriously. So so the final yeah. one. So if you look at this, uh, I think, you know, the most, uh, fun and hopefully they're actually good too, but I, I wouldn't know the most fun, uh, like little company at the moment, you know, even this week is like Honeycomb. I think they were funded yeah. last week. So what yeah, do you think if, if, if they had, uh, if they wanted to burn some hours with you, what's something that you think they don't know that they should know to be successful?
1: Um, I mean, I, th- I think they actually know this, so I'm not totally answering your question, but I think that the. the- you know, right now, the thing is, I think Honeycomb is super appealing to, you know, like an a, a, an apps pro or whatever you want to call them, uh, who's been doing it for a 100 years and, you know, really knows how to troubleshoot a problem. Yeah. I think they're... They're awesome for that. I think for people who are newer to the game or who are used to using your more standard kind of, you know, monitoring type of tool, I think, you know, honeycomb is going to look difficult and um, you know, not, maybe not be as useful. So I think, I think that they down the road need to appeal to a broader audience if they mm. want to get huge. And I think they know this, you know, I mean, I've talked to them obviously and, and I think they know that there's only so much you can do at one time, right? Um, But I think that's sort of going to be key to their growth is being able to figure out how to be, you know, easier to use for people who aren't like total pros at this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, that's, that, I always found that difficult as a, uh Analysts to like try to give advice to startups because it's basically like uh <laughs> like i have a lot to tell you <laughs> and, yeah and and i i also i also know that you can basically choose like half of a thing like, exactly like you don't right. you don't really have uh the time and resources and attention to do much more than anything. <laughs> so, right, right. so
1: anyways, But it's always good to have at least a focus and an interesting focus. Yeah. So, you know, some startups come out and it's like they're doing the same thing that everyone else is doing. And you definitely wouldn't say that for Honeycomb. Like, I think they're doing something really interesting in a very particular niche. Um, that's a good niche to go after. So, um, and, uh, you know, uh, get, getting funded is um, a good thing, probably indicates, you know, that there's other people who think that there's value in what they're developing so um yeah i think they're they're doing cool stuff and obviously very fun people to hang out with (laughs) yeah yeah for sure all right well
0: uh if people want to uh i don't know in a non-creepy way follow you around on on the internet see see what you're up to and things like that what uh where where should they go
1: twitter at ngoring g-o-h-r-i-n-g
0: yeah and of course you publish regularly at four or five, research. Do they do they ever make yep. any of your uh, your stuff uh, promotionally free?
1: They do. It's kind of hard because it's like you know they they usually make free stuff that's you know thematic, like a like mm. a broader type of report. And, and it seems like the vast majority of reports I do are company specific. But they do, yeah, occasionally you'll yeah. find my stuff like on the front page. So, and yeah.
0: and I, I think I think a good intentional uh, loophole. Across the paywall is uh, that, totally. that integrated growth blog that y'all have where yeah. it seems oh. like uh, it seems like Brendan and co seem to just and Scott over there. They just they just sort of post all their stuff, <laughs> which which is good. So, totally. it's, yeah, it, not not that you write there all the time, but every now and then there's a deal and, and you can go read about it, which which is fun. Yep. All, although I I've, I've found I I've found their writing recently a little a little uh, delightfully whipsaw where like one week they'll be like the m M&A market is hot. And then the next week they'll be like mm, secular uh, tail headwinds are causing the MNA a market to be poor, <laughs> or or whatever. <laughs> but but whatever, it's fun.
1: Goes. What does that mean?
0: <laughs> That's right. Secular tailwinds. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for being on. It was is really fun Thank to uh, to catch up. And as always, yeah. or or maybe not as always, for the second time. Uh this has been Software Defined Interviews. We we got a fancy URL now. I think I think it's plural. So, you go to software com and you can find uh we've actually got a lot of other shows there. If you remember, speaking of paywalls, our old uh uh software defined talk white paper members only podcast, otherwise known as the Exegesis Podcast, where I think we've actually gone over some four five one stuff. We do uh we do close readings in the liberal artsy oh, cool. sense of stuff. But you can find all of those now for free liberated from the paywall uh and you can peruse the back catalog awesome. they're they're pretty fun so uh yeah with that uh you know and also you can if you want to you can buy a and I'm by you I mean the audience although you're free to do that as well but uh you, you can get a a t-shirt if you want to pay for it i think we got a discount code somewhere i'll put it in the uh, the show notes uh, and also, if you send us your mailing address, we'll we'll send you a sticker. You can do that by talking uh, to us on Twitter, or we've got a contact form, or you can join our Slack. But just go to softwaredefinedinterviews.com, and you'll find all sorts of things we have, including to uh, to Nancy's point, a weekly newsletter where I I collect all the stuff I thought was uh, relevant to your dear listeners' interest. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye bye.